0: Welcome to the SDR Disco Call podcast, a podcast designed for brand new sales development reps in the world of software as a service. Every Tuesday, we're going to be bringing you a new guest who's still in the role to share how or why they've gone into sales development. What have they learned in their SDR career and journey to date, and what three pieces of information would they like to share back to new and existing reps to help them become happy sellers? Every show is transcribed, recorded with links from the guests, which are available at happyselling.io forward slash podcast. I'm going to be your host, Neil Buyan, and I look forward to taking you into the world of sales development through the SDR Disco Call podcast. So with that in mind, let's begin. So hello
1: listeners and hello watchers. Welcome to another episode of the SDR Disco Call podcast or slash vidcast. Today we've got a guest from a business that we're familiar with from our previous in season one. Um, and funny enough, this person is actually a local neighbour to myself. He lives in the same town. If 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 anything, just down the road from myself. So I was quite shocked when we connected a few weeks ago. But
2: Torren Iverson, how are you doing today, sir? I am very well, Neil. Thank you for having me on. And yeah, shout out to uh, to South London. <laughs> South
1: London all day long. Thank you so much. So Torren, for the listeners and also for the watchers out there, like, could you tell us like, who are you currently? What do you do? Where are you based in the world? Uh, and a little bit about the business that you work for.
2: Yeah, for sure. So like we said, based in South London and I am an SDR team lead working for SAS Leads. And for, for people who don't know what SAS Leads do, so we are an SDR training academy. Um, we basically handle the ramp period for reps for our clients. So New grads join us with no experience in sales or SDR and we train them up for three months and then at the end of the three months they get placed into their respective accounts and go on to have high-flying careers and so far it's working well. <laughs> Absolutely love it. So for
1: original fans of the show, you may have remembered that we had a previous guest from Sassley's, I think it was Azana Hadis. Uh, he was kind of like one of the first on the ground. He was like Will's guinea pig. But now that guinea pig has turned into a huge guinea pig house, which with structure and flows and it's kind of working out. And if I get it right, Torin, you're the an SDR team lead there. Is that right?
2: That's correct. So, yeah, essentially, my role is based a lot around training and coaching. Um, so currently I've got a team of nine that's spread across five different accounts, actually. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. A lot, a lot of different things going on. One of my accounts is actually SAS Leads, so we're trading up one of our own SDRs. So yeah, Will is by far my most difficult client, which is <laughs> it's good to keep the standards <laughs> high.
1: <laughs> absolutely love that, and shout outs to Will. Big fan of SAS Leads, and he's a, he's a help on this show. And um, yeah, if anything, you guys are absolutely smashing it. So it's great to have you on board on the show as well. But also for, for the listeners and watchers out there tour, like what do you normally do like outside of sales? Like what are your kind of passions and hobbies and stuff? Because I think that's interesting to know as well.
2: Yeah, so outside of sales, football is a big one. Um the other one is kind of a little bit, I suppose, different It's Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Ooh. Like
1: Brazilian
2: jiu jitsu is, is that So one? it's um <laughs> It's essentially the ground part of fighting. So if you're familiar with the UFC or cage fighting, whenever the, ground go, uh, the fight goes to the ground and you see the submissions and things like that, that's what jiu-jitsu is. Um, so it focuses on that. And I got into that when I was at university, actually. Um, I got recommended to it by a friend. And it started off with the, the striking, so the stand-up, punching and kicking, and the ground game. Mm. and then, and we get into this more but then when I was on on the graduate scheme before I got into sales I turned up to a couple of meetings and presentations I had to do with black eyes and stuff and it wasn't a good look so <laughs> <laughs> just switched to the ground game stuff to try and avoid that <laughs> as much as possible love it love it
1: well look if if I'm ever walking the the mean streets of South London and I need a bit of help I know who to call on so <laughs> Torrin thank you so much <laughs> Um, but obviously, for the listeners and watchers, what we can do with this show is add a nice visual element to it. So, as a good SDR that I am, always do a little bit of homework uh, before we bring our guests onto the show. Uh, and looking at your LinkedIn profile at the moment, we can see um, in the past you were studying. You were a bachelor, bachelor of law. You were studying law. Um, you had a gig as a Formula One race coach uh, at Let's Race. Uh, you had some management experience working at Little uh, within retail, uh, and then obviously back in September 2020, you joined the mothership, which is sasleads.io. <laughs> so, um, Torren, for the listeners and watchers out there, could you just please like walk us through your SDR journey from the beginning of like what was happening at uni to kind of how you got to where you are today, sir?
2: Yeah, right back to uni. So, um, yeah, went to university, studied law which is quite, quite different from sales, but I think not too different. Um, I may, may not have said that at the time, but now I'm in sales, I see a lot, a lot of similarities and why I ever wanted to get into law actually come from the earliest memory of wanting to get into law was like at school. Mm. I wasn't particularly badly behaved, but I was quite loud. Um, perhaps a little bit argumentative. And I actually had an English teacher of mine tell me you should be a barrister because." Uh, mm that's what barristers do. They argue. And at that time I didn't even know what it was. So of was like, that's interesting. She described it to me as like a lawyer and I was like, okay, fine. Went away sort of research what a barrister was, what they did. And I think the thing that drew me into law was like the potential for earning for money. Mm. Mm. Um, so then kind of run with it from then at that time though, I did still have, I was playing a lot of football um, at that time. And I played to a relatively good standard. Um, kind of got to the point when I was about 16 where I was like yeah this probably isn't going to go go as far as I'd like it to mm. um so I started knuckling down a bit while studying was doing my a-levels and then got into uni and then it was a weird one because I never went into law um and I think the reasons for that was was when I was at university I got some work experience within solicitors firms um and barristers chambers as they call them which is yeah. essentially a firm for barristers and I didn't really love it. And then I think the real turning point was when I did what they call as a mini pupillage, which is essentially a week's worth of work experience at a barrister's chambers, went in and I was there for five days, but four out of the five days court got adjourned. So mm. I didn't see a case. I didn't hear anything interesting other than one day. And I remember like I was quite young. I was probably 18. And I remember asking like, does this happen often? Like, mm. And the barristers were like, this happens probably more than you'd imagine. Um, and they're self-employed, so they don't get, you know, their court appearance fee or whatever that might be, they just get a base or I think they get remunerated in some way by the chambers depending on the agreement, but the money wasn't great. And then, so I was kind of having doubts through that throughout that week. And then on the last day, I got really, really lucky. So I actually, the way I got the pupillage was because I knew, or the mini pupillage, I should say, I knew their head clerk. Mm. um which is essentially the head administrator and he put me with the head of chambers which is kind of equal to what would be like a ceo of the chambers and this guy was like such a nice guy really intelligent he was in his late 60s um still working we went to a case again court got adjourned and i was just chatting to him and i remember him sort of talking me through his daily routine and he was up every morning at half five out the door by six um And he told me, other than on a Friday, he never gets home earlier than sort of 8.30, quarter to nine. And I thought, like, as a young man, fair, I can understand. But at that age with kids and grandkids, I just thought, that's not really the life for me. And I kind of dug a bit deeper there and sort of asked him, was it always like that? And, you know, do you think it was worth it sort of thing? And he said to Mm me, he spent the first 10 years of his career arguing over parking fines and motoring offences and nothing really interesting. And then later on he kind of reaped the rewards of that. But he sort of said, I think you should consider that, you know, as glamorous of an industry as it's painted out to be, the reality of it is not always the case.
1: Yeah.
2: Um and that was really eye-opening. And granted, I actually got to sit in on a client meeting of his and he was quoting some some lady she was divorcing like an oil tycoon out in Russia and he quoted her something crazy, like eight hundred and eight hundred and fifty pounds an hour. Wow. Um, and that included like his work he had to do at home, so like research and everything. And I was like, wow, that's big money. Mm. But me being me, super impatient, I was like, I'm not waiting 40 years for that. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think the decision was kind of made then, which was sort of at the end of my first year of uni. Um, and then I was kind of left in this this place of like, okay, so, so what should I do? Um, yeah. And yeah, so the next two years of uni kind of just like plodded along wasn't sure what to do. Um, And then stumbled across the little graduate scheme, the area manager scheme. And again, you know, there's a theme probably in in my career choices that I'm usually drawn in by money or like benefits or something (laughs) like that, which is probably a bit shallow, but (laughs) found that scheme with a good salary benefits, company car, like black brand new Audi A4, all of it. And I was just like, yes, love it. So started doing that and Again, just after a little while, I was like, "This isn't. This isn't for me." I, don't, I that was different though because I didn't feel like I was being challenged enough. Yeah. You know, I was fresh out of university, like into work, and I'd had part-time jobs and stuff, but I'd never worked in a professional environment. And yeah. honestly, I don't really remember getting a negative piece of feedback. And I thought, mm. surely, this like, I'm not like amazing. This can't be the case. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was quite quite a pivotal moment, I would say, for me, when I realised that, because it's like, oh my God, this job i have been, like, worked really hard to get, I've got, and I've realised I don't really want it. The novelty of the car wore off, the salary was great, but at the same time, it was like, this isn't going to be me forever. So then it was kind of like, geez, back to the drawing board again. Yeah. Um, And and on that, so,
1: like, if if we get it right, like, um, if we take a couple of steps back, so, like, you were inspired by a conversation with a teacher where she said, all right, you'd make a good barrister, what the hell is that? You did your bit of research. You then went into university like to study law. Um, you had the opportunity, as you said, it was a uh, mini-pupillage. So you was able to see, okay, what is that working environment like? Mm. Like What happens in the real world? Um, and then you come across a gentleman that had been doing the job for a number of years, and he kind of gave you the real deal as to, okay, this is what reality is really like in terms of my time, where I go, kind of the, the earning potential, but... You know, it's not all the glitz and glamour that may be made out on TV, etc. Um, and again, you kind of came to that realisation. Okay, maybe this isn't for me. So you thought you'd try something else. But there was an interesting piece that you uh, mentioned, Torren, mm. with before going, before us going into the little piece. Yeah. Of this element of stage fright, and like something that kind of you know you came across as an experience whilst at uni. What was that piece about?
2: Yeah. So. I mean, that's a, that's a really interesting piece and actually dovetails well into eventually getting into sales. So one of the other big problems, why it was something I knew I'd overcome, but one of my hesitations about getting into law is because I had stage fright so badly. Yeah. So, so badly. And I always had it um, from young and doing a law degree. It's not the degree to be doing stage because so much of it is speaking. So I was kind of like, okay, fine let me fix this. So they used to do extracurricular classes that were called uh, advocacy lessons and then mooting lessons. And what mooting is, is essentially a mock courtroom trial kind of like thing Hmm. where you do your prep beforehand, you come in, you actually argue a real case that may have been argued in the past and you present present your arguments against the opposition and to a judge like you would in a real court scenario. And I was like, that sounds fun. So let me do that. First session, I'm about three weeks into university at this point. Um, We turn up, it's quite a popular session and it's actually run by students at this point. So we go in, and the first session is like, right, you know, icebreaker, you're new, you've got to get up on the stage, you've got to do something like in the first sessions. We're like, okay, cool. And I get paired off against what was actually my girlfriend at the time. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) And we had to argue against each other. And the topic was, what's more important, love or money?
0: Ooh.
2: Yeah. All right. This is, inter- to- All right. <laughs> this, this, this is interesting. Please dive into it, sir. And I had to argue money. So already I'm probably thinking, yeah, this is not, money's not more important. <laughs> <But> <laughs> yeah. I was like, how can I swing this? Um so I'm bricking it at this point, Neil, honestly, mm. like I'm like, oh my God. And I think they knew we were a couple as well as so they'd done it on purpose. And <laughs> I'll preface this by saying, and I knew this as well, she was like a natural public speaker, like so good, could have the room laughing, just had that, you know, those people who just have that element of control straight away. That charisma. That's it. Yeah.
1: Um, Stage presence,
2: that. right? That's it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Was comfortable yeah. with hand gestures, she could crack a joke, and it wasn't awkward, she would smile, she would laugh. And I knew all this because I'd seen her do it before, and I thought, oh no, this is gonna go bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, so I have to go first for a minute. I have to argue that money's more important than love. And then I'm blabbering on and I'm facing her. Um, and there's probably about between I'd say 60 to 80 people in this room um uh, watching, all of them second and third year law students, obviously, all good at speaking on their feet.
1: Yeah.
2: So feeling massively under pressure i'm shaking i'm sweating my voice is going i'm having like i'm stuttering i'm having like my mind's fogging i'm getting blanks um but mm. anyway i get through the minute and i kind of like okay maybe that wasn't as bad as i thought anyway she gets her minute she first thing she does turns faces the room arms open chatting to everyone cracking jokes frankly absolutely annihilates me mm. and then at the end of the session like once we're done the guy who's running it he's a student and you know, bless him, I don't really think he knew what he was doing or the, the effect of what he would say he had, but he, lit, like, grilled me in front of everyone.
0: Mm. And it
2: wasn't in an aggressive way, but it was very passive aggressive. Because yeah. he, he turns around to the whole room and he goes, um, can I just ask, did anyone catch eye contact with Torrin that whole minute? Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh, shit. He is mm. right. Yeah, he is right. I didn't. But the way he'd done it, like, knocked me down so badly. So from that yeah. point on, the complex grew. Mm-hmm. So fast forward a year and I thought, you know what, like, I'm not giving, I I kept going back actually, but I never really got over it then. But I Mm. I wasn't, I wasn't going to give up because I knew it was something that even if I didn't go into law, I would eventually need the public speaking ability. So fast forward a year and I get offered this job as a race simulator, Um, race coach at a Formula One simulator center. Um, Mm which was such a cool place to work. And a big part of the job was presentations. Now, they weren't massive presentations, but you'd start off with a safety debrief. Then Mm -hmm. you'd have what would be a telemetry review, which essentially you give them a debrief of how to read their data and analyze it and improve in their next session. And then at the end, you'd hold a ceremony. There'd be a podium. There'd be champagne, all this sort of thing. Um, And we used to have big corporate events there. like We had HSBC. We had Santander. We had all Mm -hmm. sorts of companies. And there'd be like 40 to 50 people. So it was a really soft environment to get comfortable speaking on my feet. So that was like, I think, the part of facing the fear um, and mm-hmm. where that come from was doing that on a regular basis. And then the other half, if I just rewind because I skipped over it, in the third year, those mooting and advocacy sessions got, got taken over by a barrister. Mm-hmm. He actually like mentored us and helped us. And he taught me how to control my emotions and my, my nerves in that environment. Mm. And it was, you know, you're familiar with this. It was breathing techniques. Yeah. He he told me to breathe through the stomach, not the chest. Mm -hmm. Um, And essentially that was pretty much the beginning and the end of the advice. He taught me that what's actually happened, happening like physiologically to your body whilst you're in that fight or flight. But he taught me that if I control the physiology, then Mm. you control the psychology and you'll be able to perform under pressure. And then let's race. Where I was a Formula One simulator co- uh, centre coach, gave me the opportunity to practice that in like a not pressured environment. So that was like a really pivotal couple of years working there. Although it was just fun because if I hadn't have done that, I would never mm. have been to pick, be able to pick up the phone and do a cold call.
1: No I way. Love, I love that. I love that. So if if we go on that journey, so like you said, you're 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 in these sort of mock courtroom scenarios with your partner at the time she kind of like you said smashes it does her piece and then somebody gives a critique but that critique has a an an impact on you a detrimental impact on you but as you said like you kept going to these sessions you had a mentor which taught you like breathing techniques to if you can control the as you said the physiological side of it it will help with the psychology side of it Mm. and then having that opportunity to you know stand up in front of like corporate clients uh in that simulate a driving racing uh, scenario you're able to like better yourself and go back out to it is there any like point in your brain thinking like do you know what? i wish i could go back to you and just like smash it this time around <laughs> or like do you, do you ever have like, thoughts turning
2: uh maybe <laughs> maybe <laughs> i think do you know what as much as like the competitor in me hates losing that is probably one of the experiences that i'm most grateful for because mm. I always thought I was good at taking criticism and I think I was in areas that I kind of wasn't that insecure about but because public speaking was such a big fear mm. and such a big thing and what I really needed at that time to be honest with you, was just a little uplift just to look yeah. hey well done for getting up there here's what I would have done but because it wasn't like that it really affected me but do I wish I could go back and do it again I think realistically the answer is probably no because I yeah. don't think I'd if I hadn't had that lesson I wouldn't able to do what i what i do today for sure agreed with you agreed with you
1: and i think um it's a key bit here like what you're saying in terms of taking criticism of feedback so we just did a a show with morgan j ingram where in the show morgan was like saying like always seek feedback always get Mm. continuous feedback because that's how you improve but he said admittedly when somebody's giving him feedback he makes weird facial gestures because he's not really one to take feedback. He'll take it on board, he'll work with it, but it's his initial facial reaction, which would be like, I want to kill you (laughs) for what you're saying. And that resonated with me as well, because I have this, not a fake smile, but it's just like, I don't know how to put my face when somebody's giving Mm. me critical feedback. Um, But for the SDRs out there, I think that is a key thing of like seeking feedback, taking on board constructive criticism. Um, because, again, we're always trying to improve, and the only way we can improve is through that feedback loop from people such as yourself. Like you said, if you're an SDR team lead, you're going to have to give reps feedback of when their calls are not going well or when they're pitching or speaking to their mm-hmm. prospects. Um, and a really good technique that I was once told by a therapist was something called the kiss-kick-kiss kiss method or the sandwich method. So example of a kiss is like Torrin... Uh, I think you did a really great call there. I think you spoke to the prospect, you were clear and concise. Then you come in with the kicker, and that's where the hard bit of feedback is. So I think where it kind of fell down, Torrin, was uh, you wasn't really actively listening to the pains or the challenges that prospect was speaking about, uh, and you kind of missed a couple of like key bits she or he said, then you come back in with the kiss. But I think if you go for that call again, a little bit more prepared, I think you're going to absolutely smash it. And that again is the kick, well, kiss, kick, kiss. And that's a really good way to give feedback. But uh, how do you kind of like give, I know we're kind of taking a a bit of a Mm -hmm. meander here but like for SDRs listening in. What advice would you give to them when receiving feedback and criticism and how should they act on it?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, And I I would say... It's something that constantly evolves. I think one thing that I found's really helped with any any reps that that I have is them setting an expectation for me, how they like receiving feedback. Because one thing mm-hmm. I learned very quickly is people don't like hearing feedback, how I necessarily like hearing feedback. I do actually quite like it direct and blunt when someone if I can tell like the kiss kick kiss, kiss technique would be great, but I think if someone was to over-sugarcoat things, I would feel slightly patronized, just me personally, but some mm-hmm. people love that. So what I do with, with any new reps is the first time we meet is, and I have an influx of reps all the time because we're on this sort of like three-month rolling, rolling program, is they have an email waiting for me in their inbox saying, hey, to your first meeting, please come with your expectations of me as a manager and also mm-hmm. how you like to receive feedback because it's a massive part of the job. Setting that expectation off from early has been like game-changing. Mm. because then I can give it to them how they want it. And I have it all documented in a Google doc of who likes it in, you know. In what way? Some might like it direct. Other people like it slightly gentler. Um, Some people like me to give examples of how it, like specific examples of how it could have been different as opposed to an overarching, you need to, you know, have a better tonality or what have you. Um, So that's a big one. And then I think, yeah, the kiss kick, kiss technique i know we've spoken about this before i really like that technique um even when some people like oh i like it really direct i would still use that a little bit always give someone a positive because there always is one as well and it's good and it's good to highlight that um it's very easy to fall into the trap of constantly just telling them what they not what they need to improve on Mm. and i think there becomes a point where that book actually has a negative effect but now you're just damaging confidence um yeah so yeah i hope that answers your question 100%
1: hundred percent I really love that dude like ask your team how they like to receive feedback versus as to how you would normally give it because everybody takes um, things on board differently right everybody is built mm. differently so I think that's a super powerful great tip there and I love that bit of that email waiting in their inbox as to come to our first like one to one with your expectations and how you like to have that feedback. And you're kind of making an upfront contract with your team member <laughs>
0: yeah. as to
1: how things are going to run moving forward. And I think that's a great bit of advice. Then mm. um, yeah, like the, the kiss, uh, kick, kiss. I have to remember the, uh, kick, KK. that kick, cake. sounds weird. KKK. <laughs> um, but the reason I have it in there, because like you said, you'd sometimes need that little bit of a lift, you know, that like you've done a yeah. good job, like pat on the back, but not so much in a patronizing way, but a mm. good way to like help build that confidence, but don't fake it as well. So I love that. I'm going to steal that from you, mate. So thank you very
2: much for that. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I would say as well, to any SDRs listening as well, if, if, if your manager hasn't done that, and one thing we actually promote with our new reps is that although they have their expectations from me and with me, because they're also working with um, an external account who hopefully they'll get a job at the end of the three months, one yeah. of the tasks we set them in week two is for them to actually write a little email or you know, book a meeting to discuss your ways of working Mm. And they go to the account and say, "Hey, look, this is how I like to work. This is how I love receiving feedback, and I'd love you to do the same." So I would encourage any SDRs listening to do that exercise with your manager because I think, as a manager, if someone comes to you with a solution, you love that. That's Mm. great. That's exactly what you want to see. So I'd really encourage that. Um, It helps build a good relationship for sure.
1: Hundred percent. And it's something I equally say like to students and to SDRs like. If you if you just constantly go to your manager asking for help because that is their job as well to support you, right? But you just come asking questions without any sort of prep behind it, it can make it a bit difficult for the manager because they can tell you what to do, but that's not really fun and that doesn't really help you grow. Mm-hmm. But what I used to love with my reps, I'd say to them like, look, if you I know you're struggling with prospecting on LinkedIn or you know you're failing uh, to connect with people through cold calling. I'd be like, come to me with your problems, but try and think of three different solutions to help overcome that challenge.
0: Mm. And those
1: three solutions can be totally out of the box. They can be way out there. You know, like they could be almost like bordering on crazy, (laughs) but it's getting you to think about how you could do it. And then me as the coach or the manager can give you a little bit of critique or like, you know, tips on how to tweak it to make it more impactful. But more more or less what I'll say to you is go try it out and then come Mm. back to me and let me know how it goes on. You know, so yeah, come with problems, but also come with your own solutions. And to your point, your manager should be able to, you know, help you out with that. So I absolutely love it. But coming back to your story as well, Torrin. Um, yeah. so like you said, you you done that piece and then you went on to Little, uh, where you were going on a management piece. You got some lovely perks like a company car or a nice salary. Hmm. But like six months into it, you're like, that's the novelty's worn off and it's kind of <laughs> not for me. Like what what happened at that point there, sir?
2: Yeah, it was, um, excuse me, it was, the novelty definitely did wear off. Um, Like when you, when you think back to the perks, which was the biggest draw, I think was like, you drive a car for a week or two weeks and you're like, oh, now it's just the car. It's no longer (laughs) this like singing and dancing new shiny car. The novelty does wear off quick. At that point, yeah, I must admit, I didn't really know what to do and I pondered it for a long time and you know, interestingly enough, actually, um, I'd gone through a breakup earlier that year, mm. um, and then a couple of my friends went traveling and I was going to go with them, but I decided to not cause I've got the job. Mm. So then, you know, fast forward a year, um, and kind of life's like stable, all good over the, the personal life stuff that was, that was going on. Um, and one of my friends messaged me like, Oh, I heard you wanted to go traveling last year. Like I'm kind of sick of my job, Like, would you be open to it? And at this time I'd kind of just come to the realization, the timing was immense. Like a couple of weeks before that, this is not going to be for me long-term. So again, good timing, got a bit lucky and then we just kind of started exploring the traveling thing. And I think because I was quite, at that point I was really, really unsure of what to do, like I was like, I have no idea what I want to go into now. I was like, right, let's do it. Committed to it, um, started putting money away. Booked our first flight, a one-way ticket to New Delhi, India. Nice. (laughs) Love it. Love it. Some great stories from New Delhi. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, then about three months before we were leaving. So, you know, I decided I was leaving Lidl at this point. Actually did learn a lot there now when I look back. Um, I think, again, going back to the stage fright piece, that was probably where I really realized I'd got over that because I'd done some presentations to my regional director and his like board or his senior team and if I do say so myself like smashed it I felt so comfortable as well so for me that was like a really big moment I was like wow like in a pressurized environment for the first Mm -hmm. time I really enjoyed that loved doing it and now actually get like a, a buzz from presenting but anyway I digress so we go back and we've committed we're about three months out from leaving to go to go traveling and I have a friend who had recently got into tech sales Um, and it was a friend from uni and he'd been quiet for about three, four months, you know, in his ramp of time, wasn't saying much about the role. I think he had a couple of months where he was struggling. And then about six months in, he just started flying, Mm. like flying. And he was on the blower to me every day. He's like, you'd love this job. You need to get on it. Like I'm earning this much. I'm doing this. I'm going to Germany next week. This is obviously all pre pandemic, um, telling me about all these amazing things he's doing and people he's meeting and like to be honest he he did just like he'd sold me before I'd even left Mm. um so then yeah decided to go traveling still wanted to go and like do that sort of thing and just um I suppose it's quite cliche go and find yourself (laughs) yeah no no it's it's
1: it's right that's that's a lot of people like we've had a lot of guests that you know they've gone to university they've had a couple of jobs and they've come to that point where they're like, I don't really know where I want to go and where my career is. So I'm going to go explore the world and then find myself within that. And by the sounds of it, you had a friend who, you know, was throwing you the early rope of that tech life
2: mm.
1: and giving you a bit of insight into it. Um, but as you said, like you went out to like Southeast Asia, you went out to Delhi, like what was going on whilst you was out there? And like, I think, as you mentioned, uh, when we had our chat a few weeks ago, like just before COVID and like, on there.
2: Yeah, I think when we was in Southeast Asia, we were just like pure fun mode. Like we were just living it up as, as much as we could. Um, so we had done that. we had done India, Thailand, Vietnam, which, by the way, amazing. Like if anyone ever gets a chance to, to go, that was my favorite destination. we had done Singapore and we done Indonesia, so like Bali and the surrounding islands. Mm. great fun and then we went on to to australia now australia was always kind of the goal to kind of be a bit more settled a bit more serious um get a place settle down in sydney find some work but actually at that time when we were just going over there was when i don't know if you remember the forest fires were happening in australia and it was crazy like it was so bad then the forest fires ended and about a week later they had these like insane floods off the back of it and when you first get to australia like the only jobs you can really get in your first year visa is kind of construction jobs because you can't work at the same company Mm. for more than six months and you have to do three months farm work to get your second year visa where then you can kind of start having conversations around sponsorship.
0: Mm.
2: Anyway, so we're struggling to get jobs in construction because of like the construction industry was at a halt because of the fires and the floods and the rest of it. So we're kind of just floating around doing our thing but it's expensive out there and money's dwindling quite fast. Um, Anyway, A month goes past and I start noticing myself like something's not quite sitting right with me. I loved traveling. I loved it when I first got here, but I was starting to feel a bit uncomfortable with myself. And I kind of get these moments every now and again where I'm like, something's not sitting right with me. And I can never quite Mm. pinpoint what it is. It takes me a couple of weeks. Um, And I usually do have like a penny drop moment. And about two weeks before I left, um, before I'd made the decision, we started talking to this guy about doing this job and it was in tunnels. Um, building a train line. It was like 10 hours a day. You don't see any sunlight. And it was like, this is the only job we can get. We're going to have to take it or otherwise we're going to have to go home. Mm. So anyway, we signed up, we're going to do that. And um, I remember this clear as day, I'm laying on Bondi beach, (laughs) (laughs) like beautiful destination and with like loads of new friends and friends from home as well. Um, And I was meant to be starting the job in two days time. And I remember laying there and this was the moment where I made my mind up. I was like, I'm just staying here for the sake of being here, being in mm. Sydney. It's not mm. like I'm running from anything at home. I come out here to have fun. I was like, my career's not going to go anywhere. I don't want to be in construction. I knew I wanted to be in sales. I couldn't get a sales job there because of the visa thing. And I literally just was laying there with all my friends. And I remember thinking, I'm going home. Like mm. I decided in my head, I'm going to, I'm going to go home. So anyway, had that kind of weird moment. Went back that night, booked my flight, told my friends two days later, <laughs> Up <laughs> mm. <off the> <laughs> um, well, What was their reaction
1: like when you you know like you like you said like sometimes you have these moments where you know something's not right within yourself mm. and it takes maybe a couple of weeks for it to bubble to the surface like to your head
2: yeah
1: rationalise it and think like dang this isn't ah, you know what I need to, to make another move like and then you say to your friends right I'm off see you later good day mm. what 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 was the reaction like from your friends and like how did you explain it to them.
2: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I always say with difficult conversations and stuff like that, like the best way to say it is just to say it. So I remember after I put my flight, I I was downstairs in the lobby of the hostel we were staying at, and I called them downstairs and I think they'd known I was a bit I oh, hadn't been myself. In fact, actually a lot of people who'd known me from people in Asia to like in Australia and then also my friends from home who'd come with me. Hmm. There's only three of us. Like they'd all said, like, well, wow, you're really not yourself. Um I told them we're very close. Me and my group of friends from home. So it was quite an emotional conversation. There may have been some tears. <laughs> mm. Yeah. <That's> just <laughs> Which I guess real, was right? nice. Yeah, for sure, man. For sure. Um, especially from like because, you know, when we went out there, the, the goal was to stay there, like for two, three years, live together, get a house, and like do us kind of thing mm. as 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 a as a free. So I kind of rocked the boat a little bit, but it was the right decision for me. So it was quite an emotional night, actually. Um mm. And then the last week, we just we just had it off. <laughs> <Like before our laughs> so just parted it. Out. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. All the money we were saving, we were like, oh, forget that. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it was quite an emotional conversation, really.
1: So if if we kind of like rewind and recap on that a little bit, so like if you're if we go kind of back to like little, um, you had like a a job which was an element of pressure in a professional like environment. You're able to do that public speaking. You're able to do presentations. You kind of like overcome a challenge for yourself, but it was a milestone in your career. Mm. And then when you overcame that milestone, you then realized, okay, this isn't where I want to be. Similarly to like how you was going with law. Um, But then you decided, right, to go find yourself. You go out to like Southeast Asia. You have a lot of fun with friends. Again, you have another plan as to what you think life is supposed to be like or how you want it to be. Um, but then you have an element of being very self-aware and realizing, okay, something's not sitting right. And the plans that we'd made of what we're going to do, it's not going to happen. I'm going back to the UK. I'm going back to Blighty and your friends are cool with that. And you know, you can be open and honest with them. And I think that's an important thing throughout people's careers. Like sometimes we get into careers or we follow paths because we think at that moment in time, that's what we want to do. And I've been privy to that sort of thing most of my life. And I think I've also gone through like saying I don't really know what the hell I want to do, but as long mm. as I'm enjoying what I'm doing, then I'm happy. There is an ultimate goal as to where I want to be in a couple of, years of time, um, but I think that's a really mature thing to to do, uh, and also come to that realization and have that friend and support network around you to understand that. Um, so my question is like you're, you're deciding to come back to the UK. Kind of what what happened from there? Like after you pack your bags and you have your party, what happens on the <coughs> UK shores?
2: Yeah, so. You know, to be honest, before I'd even left, I was like, right, like I'm going for it. I'm going tech sales. That's what I want to do. So before I'd even left Sydney, I'm starting to apply for jobs. And then I have interviews the day I land. I landed at six in the morning after a 24 hour flight. I'm up to central London. <laughs> I'm at assessment centers. May not have been the best idea, but yeah, I'm at assessment centers um, that week. Like done all like I guess you could call the famous SDR assessment centers with um all the relevant companies. Yeah. At the end of that week, I get placed at Perk Box. Um, which is funny how it comes full circle because that's where we'll we'll started. Um yeah. super excited about that. I guess, you know, like you would, took my foot off the gas, had a month for our starting, I was like, cool, I'll chill out. And COVID was really starting to like, you know. Game momentum, reality. yeah, it yeah. was. People were starting to wear masks a bit on the train. Some weren't, some were. People, you know. My start date was twenty third of March. Twenty um, third of March comes around, or you know, the days before it, and there's mm. this big talk about a national lockdown. Then on the twenty third of March, we do go into our first national lockdown. Mm. So start date gets postponed by a month to see if we can figure this out remotely or what have you. And then about two weeks after that, get get the dreaded phone call that I think I kind of knew was coming. Mm. That, you know, we're having to furlough half of our sales team. We can't bring on anyone new right now. We can't furlough you because you haven't been in the business long enough. So you don't meet the requirements. So mm. like, and I was tight with money as well at this point, Neil. Like I that last week, <laughs> when I say yeah. I hit zero or beyond, like student yeah. overdraft, I'd yeah. gone for it um so money's really tight and then the rug just kind of gets pulled out from under me and it's like mm. i have no idea what to do now so carry on trying to apply for sdr roles but i don't know if you remember at that time the job market was tough yeah so actually you had to bite the bullet um call up my old area manager who's like really I was really close with at Lidl which again this is the power of your network and why it's so important to build good relationships Mm -hmm. and if you do leave somewhere never sever ties because I told myself I was never going back but boy I needed them um so I called him up he was like no questions asked come back assistant store manager like good money um so I was there for like four or five months over the pandemic when it was all crazy then like the job market started to heat up a bit again. Mm-hmm. Started applying for some SDR roles. I actually got introduced to Will via one of Will's first ever accounts. So I actually met the account first. Mm-hmm. He, like self-admittedly, didn't have the expertise to train in SDR. He found Will, and then Will introduced me to, uh, introduced me to Will. And then I mm-hmm. started training with Will in September, going through the academy. Um, and yeah, that's how I got, got to sort of where I am now.
1: Love it. I think there was a, so there's a lot of trials and tribulations throughout that journey. A lot of self-discovery, finding yourself, being exposed to challenges, being able to overcome them. Um, And yeah, the pandemic was one of the, like, dude, like my heart goes out to you, like being out in Oz and all that stuff going out over there with like the forest fires, the floods, uh, dwindling with money, coming back to the UK, like, at 6am and then going straight up to central London for assessment days, getting a job and then being told, actually lockdown's kicking in, we can't pay you because you haven't been in here long enough to be furloughed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then going back to, like you said, somebody that you had a close relationship with that little by the grace of God, they've given you a bit of work that will tie you over. Um, and then through an account, you met the guy that you're now helping build out a company to help out other SDRs that perhaps have gone through a very similar journey to yourself. And I think that's a beautiful story and very inspiring. Um, So again, hats off to you and well done for like sticking it out uh, and, you know, following your heart. And I think going back to (laughs) that debate that you had at um, university, like love or money, where do you kind of like sway to now? What would you argue for?
2: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) It's a difficult one. It depends if we're talking. No, I think love. I think love. I'd be soft. What about this then?
1: about where if you do it for the love of it the money will come
2: well you know? yeah that's uh, that's a great point I was gonna say what I was gonna say is love comes in lots of different forms um, mm. not just like an intimate relationship but family and then love for what you do and passion for like things right mm. um, and it's interesting because uh, you know it's weird how all these everyone's kind of got a story of how like things piece together and it all makes sense and I never really felt that but now I kind of do feel that a bit because when I look back like I, I remember from such an Not an early age, but at least sixth form. Like I was really into like coaching. I liked Mm. helping people. I liked coaching people through their job interviews and stuff like that. Even as a kid, I didn't know what I was doing or talking about. I Mm. just loved doing it. And now I'm in a role where I'm doing like I'm doing sales, so I'm learning the skills that I wanted to learn. Like I'm always speaking to people, which I think is important, you know. And I'm getting to coach people on a daily basis and like watch them go from an STO with no experience, here to the beginning yeah. to like man, some of the guys that come out the other end after three months is like they're different people, like, honestly. Mm. And I think I was as well, coming out the other end. It's like a steep learning curve. Um but all the little parts of the journey where it didn't quite go wrong, um, and I kind of followed my gut a lot. And I think I did, you know, some people would tell me I made some rash decisions in leaving mm. like a secure job and stuff like that. But I think when I look back on them, I don't regret a single one because I wouldn't be doing what I do now. And the reward of seeing someone go from nothing to like a function SDR, earning good money is like way more than I would have got anywhere else. I absolutely love that dude. And it it does highly resonate with me
1: because I think um, when I used to do sales and I earned that commission and, you know, like there's a life to it as well, it didn't really bring me that much satisfaction but when we used to have a new hire come on board that was completely green and new to the field or, you know, the role of sales, giving them some tips, helping them out, like coaching their call or giving them feedback and then seeing them become successful, that was so much rewarding, more rewarding for me. Mm. And that helped me make that decision of, okay, I don't really want to work in sales anymore per se. I still love the industry. I love the profession. But I'm more a person that likes to like yourself, like coach people, make them become successful. That's what brings me happiness and money is only a byproduct of doing that work, you know. Um, but I think also just, like you said, there's a new wave of people. Like the thing that gets me up in the morning is seeing new people coming into the world of sales development, and you probably see this at SAS Leeds, first time doing this job, first time in this industry, this is all alien to me, but having that mentor or that coach mm. give a guiding hand and help them work through those things and make them, you know, make choices. And I love the piece where you say you don't make any regrets because, yeah, if we change anything of our past, it will change who we are today. And I think the best bit of advice uh, that I was given is sometimes we make choices which were the best choices to make at that moment in time and under those circumstances. So similar to yourself, like being out in Oz and just seeing what's not going on with your life. And, yeah, you had this idea of wanting to be out there, work with your friends, have a place but you had to make the right decision at the right time. And it was the best decision because it's now led you on to where you are today. But like hats off to you, Torrin, um, really inspired <laughs> Thanks, by it, mate. No, no, hundred <laughs> percent. Um, so as, as we're coming towards, it's been a great session having you on. I've, I've learned a hell of a lot. Um, especially that manager piece of come with your expectations and how you like to get feedback. That's going <laughs> to stick in my head. I love that. Um, <laughs> but what three bits of advice would you give to like a younger Torrin who's just about to embark on this journey?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. And just before I answer it, one thing I wanted to say, which I forgot to mention earlier, is how we talk about it all coming full circle and how you said don't regret anything. One of the topics I teach now, which is like the thing I'm kind of responsible for within the academy, is anyone who struggles with that stage fright and nerves. Mm. I run the session on that and I wrote the Uh, session myself. And it's not not my own material. I just copied what I got taught. But if I'd have never been there, I would have never been able to relate. And some of our best cold callers and presenters at the end of it are people who were so nervous at the start because they get that buzz of adrenaline because it's just pent-up energy, right? And it's just redirecting mm. it. So I just wanted to add that in there. Oh, um, well, wicked.
1: So if you're looking, <laughs> you, you was that barrister that was helping you like in the second or third year of uni with those breathing techniques, gave yeah. you something to help you. Now you're that person within Sassly to help people that have that stage fright. That's freaking amazing. So the, the power of knowledge is great, but the purpose of knowledge is to share back sure. what you've learned regardless of whether you come up with it or if you've learned it from someone else, that is the purpose of knowledge to share it. Right. Yeah. And again, hats off for doing that dude. And yeah, you may give me a little bit of an SDR tier there. I'm, I'm super <laughs> proud of you. Like, well done. So but yes, uh, what what would be your three bits of advice that you'd give to a younger version of yourself
2: of somebody who's just about to embark on this journey? Three bits of advice. I think the first thing would be is when you, when you feel most scared, jump. Um, and, when I did some co-steering in Vietnam, and I remember the safety briefing, that's what he said. When you're up the top of the cliff, when you're most scared, jump and you get the biggest thrill. And I think in sales, it's so relevant because so, like, your first cold call, you're so scared. Just do it, jump. Like mm. first podcast appearance, that like if that opportunity comes up, jump. Promotion, yeah. you might be a bit too early to take. Just jump, just do it. Um, mm. Start saying yes more and, and magic things will start happening. The other one I would say, and this comes from my Brazilian jiu-jitsu background, is always be a white belt. And what that means is always be a beginner. Um, mm. I do see quite often people get a few months in, they start like booking loads of meetings and all of a sudden they're too good for training and coaching. Yeah, And then, you know, six weeks down the line, it starts to dry up and then they come back like, Hey, help. <laughs> Whereas they yeah. didn't want it a little bit earlier. Yeah. Always be a white belt, always be learning, you know, like, I'm still learning every day, and I'm having to, and I'm teaching. Right, there's still loads hmm. I don't know, so that's a big one. And then the last one, and I think this is by far, I think personally, the most important one. Not even just for SDR, but anything, and it's that it's better to be consistently good, and inconsistently perfect. This is a marathon, not a sprint. Like in the SDR yeah. world, you've got to keep yourself going. It's a tough job, and some days you're not going to be perfect. Your best isn't always there. But if you can just try and be consistently good, keep filling the pipeline, keep making the calls, keep sending the emails, keep learning, you'll, you know, lots of little things add up to a big thing. So those would be my three bits of advice for you. Solid bits of advice.
1: <laughs> Absolutely love that. So 100% agree. You should do something every, every, you should at least every day do one thing that scares the bejesus out of you because yeah, that's man. when you know you're living versus surviving. Sure. So, and again, to overcome those fears is to face them, right? Um, the white belt analogy, I love it. It's something we also call like beginner's mind, where you go into it as if you're still a newbie, and that way you're still curious about it, you're still excited about it, versus thinking, "Yeah, I know everything." Like with me, every time I do a podcast, every time I do like a happy selling session, every time you know I meet a sales veteran, I'm always going in as if I'm still a brand new SDR, and I'm wanting to learn. Uh, and yeah 100% consistency is key you know like not every day is going to be sunshine and roses but it's that 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 want to keep going and just to keep hitting it day after day after day will compound into bigger better things yeah um and to yourself like initially it was like the money that was what was drawing you there and then over time it was like the passion of what you want to do and kind of what makes you happy and makes you feel proud of yourself and i think you've got there well done mate and i'm really looking forward to like how the next eight months are going to be for yourself at SAS Leeds. Um, And you're helping out the next wave generation of sales development reps. So it's even a bigger, higher salute to you, dude. I'm really proud of that. And are there any shout outs that you'd like to give on today's show, toren
2: Oh, there's loads. But I think i got to shout out the SAS Leeds team. Big shout out goes to to Will Conan for sure for, for taking the chance. And then the people i got around me, Leif Aziz, Azana Hadis, Trevin, Chris, everyone who's around us at Sass Leeds, George, awesome team, love being part of it and just some great people to learn from. And then all the reps that are in the academy as well, they're smashing it and grinding every day. So shout out to them too. Shout out to you for inviting me on.
1: (laughs) Thank you, sir. I'm just the fan. I'm just spectating here, but that's a lot of hashtag sales love and really appreciate it. Well, Torren and listeners and watchers, thank you so much for joining and catching us on today's session. We'd love to have you back in the future, Um, Torren. And if anybody has any sort of SDR questions or wants to come to you to ask some advice, what's the best way to get in touch with you?
2: Yeah, LinkedIn, Torren Iverson. You find me easy enough, there's not that many Torren Iverson, So yeah, feel free to connect, ping me over a message. If you ping me a voice note, that's double points. I love voice notes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
1: yeah feel 100% free 100% agree 100% agree so make sure that we'll put your LinkedIn profile in the show notes in the description below uh but Torrin <clears throat> absolute pleasure to have you on and I wish you a great weekend as we're local lads we are going to be meeting up soon for a pint um and I look forward to that as well meeting you face to face uh but have a great week sir and happy
2: selling happy selling thanks for having me on man
0: Disco call one word, at bcast, which is b-c-a-s-t dot email, and you'll be added to our mailing list. We're also on the lookout for new guests, so if you work in the world of sales development as an SDR, BDR, MDR, or ADR, and feel that you have an important message or story to share, feel free to email us at podcast at happyselling.io, and we'd love to have you on board.